How many have heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? Okay. What does that mean when you say it or how do you take it when you hear it? Practice what you preach. Back it up. Okay. What else? Say that again. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. Oh, that's so sweet. It's very true. What else? What else does that mean? What is that? Do you ever feel like, okay, when you say that, you want to, it's almost as if you don't believe that person. If you say it, you're saying it for a reason. Yeah, do what you say. Not like last time. Yeah. Yeah. Put up or shut up. We'll just say it. Right? There's something that goes on in us with people. We want, we want people to actually model what they say they're going to do. One of the coolest things for me, I, I love sports. I love watching sports. And there's two things I love to see is when a cocky uh, athlete will, will say they're going to do something in the game and they fail to do it. It gets all this media attention and they fail to do it. And we go, yes, who's done that? You cheer for their failure. But then there's some that actually can do what they say they're going to do, and you go, whoa, whether you like them or not, can you not appreciate someone that can follow through, especially with things that seem too lofty? And we're entertained by that. Isn't it interesting how we're connected to how someone beats the odds, but we also want people to fail? Is that not true? I mean, if I don't like someone's personality, especially in sports, I go, man, I hope they fail. And I root for it. Great Christian love right there. (laughs) Jesus just oozing out of me. I want you to fail and be humiliated. When I was young, I remember, uh, I grew up watching classic movies and all this, and I remember uh, watching The Three Musketeers. And in Three Musketeers, it's, there's been so many different variations of those movies, but the villain always stays the same, the main villain, the one who's pulling the strings. Who is that, those of you that remember? Cardinal Richelieu. Now, as a young kid, growing up in a pastor's home, surrounded by pastors and surrounded by Christian people, I have a very certain standard that was set before me. I want to see people live what they say because I'm being taught and preached to, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, I'm being preached at in a positive way, and I want to see people back that up. So here I see a guy who is Cardinal of France, and he is not doing what he should be doing. We're seeing something where he portrays this safety in a sense and and makes you feel like he's on your side, but behind the scenes... He's doing evil things. See, what can happen is that we, we as people can hide behind things that look good so that we can do other things. And as we explore more of chapter 2 today in Romans, we will see Paul addressing the Jewish people and the Gentiles, especially the Jews, and he really gets to the heart, he gets to the heart of a huge issue. Now, Jews, um, and the Jews that he's talking about, that Paul's addressing, because he was one of them, 
are these that think they're greater than everyone else because they have the Mosaic law. And they act that way. They walk that way. They talk that way. But Paul says, you don't live that way. And because of that, Gentiles are now, all those who are not Jewish, are watching you, and now they're dishonoring the name of God because the God that you serve, they don't see in your actions. Because you're hiding behind what you say you believe and what you talk about. And then you have that phrase, practice what you preach. We want to see it. You want to see my life reflect what I say up here. Correct me if I'm wrong. No pressure. When you, when you uh, reveal yourself as a Christian to someone else, do they not have an expectation of you? Now, that expectation could be right or wrong, but there's an expectation that you're going to do what you're talking about, what you're preaching. Now, we have a lot of terrain to cover. So, verses 12 and 16, I just want to kind of paraphrase for you, and then we're going to camp in 17, verse 24 today and talk more about this. But Paul is addressing um, in, in verses 12 through 16, that Gentiles are not under the law, so they will be judged not according to the law by God, and those who are um, Jews will be judged by the law, meaning this, no one will escape God's judgment one way or the other. Just because the Jews are under the law does not mean they won't be judged. They will be judged. And that the law, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that law, that the law is written on the hearts of all people, even the Gentiles. And Paul illustrates in these verses how some Gentiles, they just know. They just know what is right according to God because it's written on their hearts. And everyone has an opportunity to say yes or no to that. And those things will be revealed and they will be judged when we all meet Jesus on that day. And then we get into verses 17 through 24, where Paul addresses the Jews. He addresses what they say and what they do, but also addresses what they don't do. So, if you have your Bibles, take them out. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles every week, whether the hard copy or on your phone or iPad or whatever, and I'm going to trust you're not playing games. Major judgment here if I see any games. No. But I would encourage you to listen best you can and receive. If it helps you to listen by following along, great. Otherwise, just relax, and I want you to picture this best you can. Paul says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? 
You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul is addressing, if you're saying you're all these things, how come you do A, B, C, and D? Now, Paul picks out certain things that were common in his context. So, Jews were not allowed to go into heathen temples. And so, but what, guess what's in those heathen temples? Idols. And guess what those idols are made out of? Expensive material. And so, Jewish people would go and rob those temples. So, they're breaking quite a few rules. One, they're entering a pagan temple. Two, they're stealing, and then they're stealing idols. So it doesn't paint a good picture. Adultery is mentioned. And then the flat out just disobeying God's law. Now, it really doesn't matter what it is. He's addressing that you say one thing, but you're doing another. What you say, what we see on the outward, is not supported in the inward. How many of you have someone in your life that has inspired you? that has revealed a part of Jesus that has just been impactful in your life? Okay. Do they leave quite the impression? Yeah. Now, growing up in the church, I had access to a lot of different people. Some people I would rather not ever see again. Some that really shaped my life. And... You know, I, I was very insecure, probably still am in many ways. I, had, uh, I was very self-conscious. I didn't want to be pulled out of a crowd in a negative way. I wanted to kind of just blend in and be, but I know from beginning to end of my life, well, not the end, but you know what I'm saying, the beginning, I really did want Jesus. I did. My actions didn't always convey that. The people I put around me didn't always convey that, but I, I did want Jesus, I wanted to know him better. I wanted to be in his presence. I wanted to worship him. But the surrounding environment wanted the opposite, and I didn't want to be pulled out of a crowd. Not at that time, at least. But when those people weren't watching, I was going after people ruthlessly. I was going after people that would disciple me, that would show me aspects of God that I haven't been exposed to and I would watch their lives and I would be inspired and I would work really really hard really hard to emulate that to model that and when I was 17 I received the call to ministry and then I I tried even harder I told my friends that were not Christians I said this is this is what I'm going after in my life would you support me and encourage me whether you believe it or not and all of them left except for one who encourages me to this day. But I went after people that would pour into my life. And I would, work, I, I would believe what they were saying. I would love what they were saying because I believed it was true. And I still think it is true. And it shaped my life. And then I came to, it came to my attention that these people were living something other than what they were teaching me. And it destroyed me. It absolutely destroyed me. In many ways. Because I was working really hard to know how to be with Jesus. To work through my junk 
allow him to love me without me always feeling ashamed. And to love others with his filter and not my own. And these people were modeling that, so I thought, but it wasn't translating behind the scenes. And when I found out, I was crushed. I felt betrayed. And then I start questioning, am I hearing the Lord? Then I start questioning, is now because they couldn't back it up, everything else they said to me I thought was true is no longer true? And now I'm not talking about, you know, sins that we all stumble into. Paul is not talking about just, you know, everyday things where we miss a step, but we're still moving towards Jesus. He's talking about a pattern of going, Jesus, I'll preach you here, but I ain't going to live them. I'm not going to live you back here. He's talking about a pattern of it, okay? Do we know the difference here? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not, well, I had a bad moment and I yelled at my wife in a way that really made her feel bad and da-da-da-da. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a pattern of it. And I was crushed by it. And those left wounds. How many have wounds? And then you don't want to trust the next person you see that reflects Jesus, at least on outwardly, because you're like, it doesn't mean anything to me if you're not backing it up. It doesn't mean anything to me if you can't show me an authentic way that what you're saying can stick to these bones and actually gain traction and have life. Why am I working so hard, busting my butt spiritually, emotionally, relationally, engaging my wounds and my insecurities, which is always fun. And you're, you're cheering me on, but you're not doing it. Or you're not even attempting to do it. It hurts. And there's always someone watching. Always. We think we can be hidden. But God, put, God puts people in our lives that have wicked good discernment. And don't need to know any information. And God will download exactly what's going on in your life. There is no hiding. We think we can. But there isn't. And God will call us out. Because that is not what he wants us to be living into. And there was someone that, um, when I was younger, I mean, he really poured into me from like six years old, you know, until I was in college. And then did some things I could not believe. Could not believe. And I was heartbroken. And I was angry. And you start to wonder, do I really hear God? Do I, you know, is everything that this person said true or not? Just because people can't back it up doesn't mean the information's not true. I've learned that. And I had to learn to rely on Jesus to allow that to be manifested and not just these other people. But that took time to get there. And so all the people that I felt this happened to, and I'm sure I've done that for someone else, to someone else. I'm sure I've been that person, a betrayal to someone else. That's not what I want. Is it what you want? But the world is watching. People say, well, the church doesn't, it's lost its voice in our country. Because people are watching, and we say one thing and we do another. And now people dishonor the name of God because we don't reflect the God we want to. 
And so, as I learned, I went to each person that I felt did that to me, and I confronted them because Jesus told me to, and I didn't like it. And there was only one person I didn't, and it was that person from when I was six years old on up, and then did these things that, and towards my family. And that, that's a no, no-fly zone. All our families are kind of nuts, but we love them. And when someone messes with them, regardless of my issue with them, don't do that. Yeah? Don't do it. And I thought maybe someday there would be a time for us to reconcile. And then I just heard word that this person died. Now I don't have that closure. And so Jesus helped bring closure to that. But it was extremely hurtful when we see that. How many have experienced that in your life? Someone just, you believe, is walking in the light. And I'm not talking about makes a mistake. I'm going to let you down. I've already told you that. And I probably already have. But I'm going to do everything I can to abide in Christ. But there are those who hide behind their faith. And we buy it hook, line, and sinker. And we become very disappointed. And then we can be skeptical, not trust. I cannot tell you how many people that I talk to on a weekly basis that start coming to church again for the first time in years. And I ask why did you leave? It was because someone broke their trust. Someone betrayed them in the worst way. They thought they saw Jesus. And you know what? That doesn't mean they didn't. But it wasn't backed up in the way that they had hoped. And it let them down. And they're wounded and they're carrying those wounds. But guess what? There's also the opposite that happens. And this is what Paul is trying to say. We need to step into the law whom is Christ, in a full way so that our private moments reflect who he is, not just our public moments. That as was said earlier, that our treasure would be him. It's where we put our heart. Because those private moments, we think we, think we can hide in those private moments, but you can't. You will always get caught. Always. How many have been caught doing something? It could be stupid. It could be cheating at Monopoly. I don't know. But you've been caught. How does that feel? Oh, fantastic. Because you think you covered your tracks. And you didn't. Because God knows. And you'll send people. And it's not so that you can get in trouble. It's so that the, it's the kindness of the Lord that we get caught. So that we can repent. So that we can turn towards him and be his in the private moments and the public moments. It's a kindness of the Lord, not a punishment. The reason why at Bridgewood we talk about vulnerability being known and pressing into that is because it's better to confess than to get caught. But, Both are a blessing. Both are a blessing. And both, I believe, are a kindness of the Lord. About 10 years ago, um, I went up to this retreat center in Southern California with a couple of pastor buddies, and we were going to plan for a retreat. So we were having a retreat for a retreat. And there were about four of us, and my buddy, my pastor buddy and I were getting really bored. We're like ADD and need to be doing something all the time. 
and being still stinks. Obviously, I, can't, do you, I don't even know why this is up here sometimes. Because I never stand behind. So we were getting kind of bored. It was like 9 o'clock at night. And we're up in the mountains. And we're like, what can we do? Well, let's get in some trouble. So we see one of the staff, the camp staff's um, golf carts just sitting there. Well, that's an invitation. You don't leave a golf cart there in the middle, you know, with the keys in it. So we borrowed it. And we're driving around and having a good time. And one of the guys we're with, um, his name is Joe Johnson. Some have heard of him, some have not. And he mentored me through, through seminary and is a great guy. All about the heart of the Father. And he was there with us. And he's in his 70s, and, um, but has a, a childlike faith, child at heart. And he's in his room, and we had another guy in their room. And so we thought we would just drive by those rooms, and it was an outdoor hallway. But to fit in there was very precarious. And it was like, there's no way that's going to fit. And I looked at my buddy, I was like, there's no way that's going to fit. He goes, watch me. And he puts his foot on that gas, and we go through. And as soon as we go through, we get stuck. And we just hear the stuck go in the plastic. It's just like coming off. And my hair, and I was on the side of the wall, and I'm just going like this. And finally, the cart stops, or we get it shimmied, and then, and then we, we pull out of that, that position, and then we stop it, and we go, wow, because it took like 15 minutes. And we look at each other, and I'm like, okay, we better take this back. But then I, I feel like I need to look to my right, and I look to my right, and we're outside Joe Johnson's hotel, uh, retreat room. And he has the blinds wide open, windows there, and he's laying on his back doing this, worshiping Jesus. He has no idea we're out there. No idea. Now, why is this important? Because to that point, I was always skeptical when someone, I couldn't really trust what I was seeing because I felt I was let down so many times. And this was a healing moment for me because I looked at him and I see him worshiping Jesus when no one's looking. And the first thing that I feel is guilt and then shame and then guilt and shame about three or four cycles of that. And then my buddy and I go, we're going to hell, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, that's humor's our defense mechanism. So we were just like, yeah, we better put this cart back. So we put the cart back. I go back to my room. And the Spirit of God fell on me. And I said, Lord, I want that. I want my private moments to look like that. Not stealing a golf cart with someone religious. I want, I want my life in the moments that no one sees, but only sees, look like that. What would the world around us that we see on YouTube and Facebook and whatever, all the other, Twitter or whatever, witnessed a church who was like this in the private moments and in the public moments? What would that look like? Because right now we can only imagine because we haven't seen the reality of that yet. But it's possible. If you've ever wondered in worship why we do this. One, when I go from this to this, 
it makes vulnerable all the most vulnerable parts of my body. All my vital organs, my heart, my head, my face, everything. And so when we do this in worship, we're saying, all of me, the most private, vulnerable, tender parts of who I am is yours. That's what we do when we worship. But what other form does this take? Do we see this? Right there. Jesus himself died in the most vulnerable position you could possibly imagine, saying to you and to I, I am what matters. My love for you is what matters. It's the only thing that matters. If you walk in this love, you're going to do all the right things. And this love is not something you just want in public. You want it in private. You want to be sitting in your couch going like this. You want to be laying on your floor going like this. You want to be disciplining your kids going like this. Playing with your kids, going like this. We think Christianity is this fancy philosophical military mission in which we got to do all these covert operations, but it all comes down to this being loved by the Father and letting them do it. If you leave this earth, only doing stuff for Jesus, but you haven't experienced the love of God. Oh, thank God, when we die, we go to Jesus first. And he's the judge. And that's not to shame or scare anybody. That's to say this, the love of God. If we don't leave this earth knowing the love of God, it's a life wasted. I, I can't say it any clearer than that. We can look at Romans and say, well, historically, Romans is a book of correction, and it's a book of judgment, and it's a book of, we hear great things, but Paul's really correct. Paul is driving the point home that if we don't have Jesus, we've got nada, nothing. Nothing. The correction comes from a place of relationship. Relationship is all that matters. If you read this like an academic student and not relationally, you're going to miss the whole point. You might have some good stuff to talk about in the seminary bar over scotch, but you are not going to encounter the love of God in the way that he wants to if we don't read this and experience life relationally with Jesus. We'll miss it. Sometimes the church spends more time about being right than being faithful. To allow God to love us and to emulate that. And to navigate the tension of holding what's good and true and noble and honorable with the pressure of this world. This is why we're learning to navigate the tension of the world because the world wants us to fail. They celebrate. When Jesus fasted for 40 days and Satan came to him, Satan was trying to to get him to fail. And we don't have to give up our values that come from Jesus because of the pressure of the world. We just ask Jesus, how do I stay faithful in this moment? And he'll do it in a way that breathes life to the person that is trying to see you fail. And he'll redeem all the people you feel have failed you prior. The task is simple. 
Let him love you. Hard at times to practice, but the concept, the goal is simple. Let him love you. Because I guarantee you, when you allow that to happen, you will love the way he loves you. And all the things that are written in the law will happen out of a love relationship, not a legal contract. And people are watching. And we're not doing it because they're watching. We do it because we love him. And we know he loves us. And it just so happens people are watching. And they will be changed by that. As we go into worship, I simply, as we ask the Lord what he wants to say, this is, I'm a firm believer that in the scripture that we're given one day, just one. What do we do with this one day? And we have this one moment. We're all here. So I want you to ask the Lord, how do I get from wherever I'm at to this? At least for this month. And if you're there, great. Ask the Lord to help you stay in it. But Lord, how do I get from where I'm at to here? And just sit in it. As we sing, as we fellowship, let it just let him rest on you. Lord. We take another moment as we ask, what do you want to say to us? But also, Lord, how do we get to that posture in the private moments of allowing you to love us and to worship? It doesn't mean we'll do it flawlessly, but that that would be our heart. Lord, we pray against the schemes, the traps, and the false claims by the enemy that so desperately wants to see us fail. We pray that we would see you clearly in those moments, that you would remove anything in Jesus' name right now that would keep us from asking the question, Lord, how do I get to here? And as you move, may we see you clearly. Even for some of us who think we don't hear you, I pray that we would hear you loud and clear this morning. That we'd see you more clearly than we ever have before. I thank you for the people in our lives that have illustrated you in one way or another, that have helped shape us and draw us near to you. Regardless of the wounds that they may have caused, we thank you for the gifts that you've given us through them. And I also pray for those of us who have wounds from those kind of relationships that you would speak healing in life. And that we learn to trust again. That we learn to trust you above all else. And as we step into trust, Lord, we ask that you'd bless our tithes and our offerings. 
that they would be pleasing to you, used for your glory. It's only a fraction of what, of how worthy you are. But we give out of a place of trust and confidence in who you are and our love for you and not out of fear of not having. And ask that you'd use it for your kingdom and your glory. And so I pray that we would worship you in spirit and truth this morning, that we would engage you and allow you to just wash over us and love us. In Jesus' name, amen.
love that song. It's so much hope. So much hope. To bring a message that basically says, is what you're doing in private honoring God? (laughs) It's not an easy message to bring. But Brendan, he just crafted it with such grace and power of the Holy Spirit that it was delivered with kindness. And it's the kindness of God that will lead us to the places where we could say, no, maybe not all the time I'm not honoring God in my private life. It's the kindness of God that leads us there. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says that the that we have hope and we're not ashamed of the hope because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And when we can stand like this and let the love of God pour into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, the love pours in and it leaves no room for anything else. Everything else needs to go. It needs to go. And I think we have a call today to acknowledge the truth and be led by the love of God and bring it to the cross where he'll have the final word and it can be laid to rest. Don't go this week without asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to me about today's message? Because as much as it's a hard message to give and craft, it's also a hard message to hear and to be honest with. So that's my prayer for us is that this week we would have the courage to look at those things and bring them to the cross where we have hope in Christ Jesus because he has the final word with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... Lord, I thank you that we're part of a church here at Bridgewood that doesn't shy away from hard words. Because of your kindness and your goodness and your love, you lead us to places that bring truth into the light you shed your truth on it and you have the final word it sets us free so we thank you for that thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love by the power of your Holy Spirit that pours into our hearts Lord would you give us space to ask the question this week Lord what do you want to say to me about this week's message what are you saying